0: Hello and welcome to Local Wool, a podcast for conscientious makers. I'm Anastasia Williams and this is episode 5. is full of interesting information so I'm gonna go ahead and jump right in but I do just want to give a little bit of a disclaimer today just because sometimes as a small producer you are living in a relatively remote location and internet connection is not always amazing so call quality today it does have some moments where it seems it drops a little bit but I still think it's a really valuable conversation and for the most part Everything's pretty discernible. Today, we have Jessica Sanchez from Rusted Earth Farm on the show with us. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
0: So, just to kind of get started, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you
1: do? Sure. Um, you already mentioned my name is Jessica Sanchez. Um, I am the owner and operator of Rusted Earth Farm, which is a fiber farm and textile art studio um, in western North Carolina. We we are just to the northwest of Asheville. Um, And we raise heritage breed wool sheep here, mainly Navajo churro, and produce handmade woven textile art from their fleece. Um, So I'm the shepherdess here on the farm. I take care of the herd. I do the shearing um, and I make all of our woven textiles.
0: That's amazing. So you're actually a little bit of a jack of all trades then. I try to be. (laughs) That's really cool. I love hearing when producers are their own shearers as well because that is a very challenging thing to do. So I'm really kind of interested it to get is into that too. Super
1: challenging. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it took a while. There was a sharp learning curve there. And year <laughs> one, when I shared, I right away was like, I made a mistake. I'm definitely doing the wrong thing. <laughs> oh, no. um, but I figured it out. I've, I've been doing it a few years now. So <laughs> oh, <laughs> I've got my so technique cool. down, kind of. That,
0: that's really fascinating. Um, so what started you down like the the fiber farm path
1: well a whole lot of things um i bounced around a lot when i was younger um trying to figure out what i wanted to do with my life Um, but i was always really motivated by a love of animals and the outdoors um So I went to college for wildlife biology in Montana state. Um, and during my time there, I worked on a horse ranch as a wrangler and that was kind of my first experience working hands-on with animals. Um, after being there, I spent some time working in South Africa, um, on a wildlife reservation, uh, Tracking animals and doing data entry and things like that. Um, so that was back in 2005, 2006. I was over there. Um, I came back to the States and I moved around quite a bit and worked in a couple different industries. And through all that, the dream of farming kind of started forming in the back of my mind. Um, Then somewhere around 2013, I was living outside of Philadelphia with my future husband. Um, I was running a community service group at the time, um, and he was a city council member. And we decided to just completely change our lives and uproot um, and take this leap together and (laughs) buy a farm in Asheville, North Carolina. So um, we bought the farm, moved to Asheville in 2015. And right away, we got a donkey. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and the sheep came shortly afterwards. Our our farm was really um, topographically challenging for growing um, produce. So I wanted animals. There was a dense uh, population of fiber artists in this area. So right away, we were like, okay, let's look at what kind of animals we could get that could help supply this um, um, population. So we looked into alpaca and then kind of became obsessed with sheep and specifically the Navajo churro. So um, shortly after getting the farm, we got our first ewes. We had 17 Navajo churro.
0: Wow. That is a really fascinating background. And I am going to just backpedal a little bit before we get into talking about sheep, because I a little bit want to hear about this wildlife (laughs) reserve that you worked on in South Africa. Like what, I I mean, I know you said that you track animals, but like, can you go a little bit more into detail? Cause I just think this is so fascinating.
1: Yeah. So part of the reason I went out there is (laughs) as a very young child, I became obsessed with lions um and it became like kind of a driving force in my life (laughs) going to see lions and work with lions somehow so that um kind of carried on into my teens and and while I was in college I was still really hung up on this Um, so I found a wildlife reserve that was doing um some work with Lions, but they were also working with elephants at the, <laughs> it's kind of funny they were testing this elephant contraceptive um, it was a pill <laughs> and trying to keep the elephant population within Kruger National Park, which is a huge park um, in the north east of South Africa um, they're trying to keep the population. Limited so that they stopped coming out of the park and essentially wreaking havoc on the villages and towns outside of the park and the farms. Really, they did a lot of destruction. Um, so I worked out there for a couple of months, um, mainly tracking elephants. And sometimes we would uh, tranquilize them and take um, like their vital signs and just track that data to see if this Um, drug they were administering was having any kind of negative side effect before they were allowed to use it in the national park
0: that is so cool I'm sorry that is just so cool
1: (laughs) it was a lot of fun it's (laughs) it seems like so long ago I feel like I was so crazy back then
0: (laughs) yeah but what a really cool experience to have I mean that goes a little bit above what I think like studying abroad does, because I think, you know, you learn about a culture, but, you know, you're actually doing something that's well in line with what you were studying at the same time. So you're gaining valuable knowledge while learning about another culture and being around exotic animals, which is something I don't feel a whole lot of people are going to be able to experience in their lives.
1: Yeah, it was incredible and a very unique experience. Um, and it kind of just solidified for me that I loved being outside and I loved working with animals. So, uh, moving forward, I carried that with me. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Okay. So,
0: okay. We'll go back to sheep now. Um, but <laughs> when we're, <laughs> okay. when we're talking about, I know you have several different heritage breeds. Um, you have
1: Jacobs
0: uh and what are the
1: other ones that you have i have a couple of jacobs i have one icelandic sheep um <laughs> week she was a wedding gift from my uncle so oh. she's just kind of the misfit of the herd
0: <laughs> who would not want a <laughs> sheep for their wedding gift so
1: he <laughs> we had the coolest wedding gifts are I guess we'll talk about her later, but our llama was also a wedding gift. (laughs) Um, And our rams, our Navajo churro rams.
0: (laughs) Wow. That is okay. I have so many things I want to talk about. Okay. So, but really I want to um, zero in on the Navajo churro specifically. Um, And I know, you know, with, something that I'm getting really interested in is that shave them to save them initiative by the livestock conservancy. And I know Navajo Churl are considered one of those critically endangered breeds. Um, and some of these endangered breeds, I feel have really interesting stories in their history. Um, do you know a lot about the history of that breed?
1: I do. Um, and their story really is so interesting. The history of the Navajo churro is initially what really made me um, interested in the breed. Um, It just really appealed to me the struggle that they've been through. Um, So (laughs) and part of the reason that we have this herd is that I happen to have been very knowledgeable at the time about them We got we had an older herd given to us by a farm that was um getting out of sheep and they wanted to give them to someone who was familiar with the breed. Um I wasn't familiar with ever working with them. (laughs) I just happened to have read a lot about them. So um I'll tell you a little bit about them. Um, they were the first breed of domesticated sheep in the United States and they were brought over here by the Spanish conquistadors Um, and back then they were just called the chura which is the word for common so they were considered the common sheep of Spain Um, and when they came to this continent they really thrived they spread all over but they were happiest um, in the really warm dry climate of the southwest Um, So they were adopted by the Native American tribes that lived out there, which earned them the name Navajo churro later on. Um, And the Navajo and other Native American tribes in that area used the sheep for meat, for fiber, and um, for trading with settlers. So the sheep became a major economic asset for them. Um, And then in the 1860s, settlers pushed to acquire more land. Um, the U.S. government at that point ordered uh, military action and started destroying Navajo orchards and flocks. So they mm. wiped out th- thousands and thousands and thousands of sheep. Um, by the 1930s, the numbers kind of grew back again. Um, and at that time, there was severe drought in the mid and southwest. Um, so the government again stepped in and ordered massive Actually, they started rounding up the Navajo churro and just killing them. Um, and that went on for a long time. It went on until the 1970s. And um, there were only, the numbers were down to uh, somewhere between four and 500 sheep. Um, so they were pretty much on the verge of extinction. When this guy came along, um, his name was Dr. Dr. Lyle McNeil, and he recognized the importance of this breed, uh, the importance of their genetics and the cultural significance, and he started putting conservation efforts in place to save them. Um, so, since then, there has been a lot of work to bring the numbers of this breed back up. Um, that's still going on today. They're still considered threatened, but the numbers are back up around 5,000 now. Um, so, yeah, they. They've been through a lot and that just, <laughs> I really sympathized with them.
0: Yeah, that is, that is really, inter- well, it's, it's interesting, but it's also quite tragic really in a way because it's not like some of the other breeds where we have um, really just a lack of demand for their fleeces. It's that we've been personally responsible um, in this country for reducing their numbers um, by, well, effectively just slaughtering them really
1: yeah and it was um also you know obviously it was an effort to subjugate Native Americans so they killed their sheep oh my gosh that's awful that's awful
0: well I mean I'm glad that the popularity of them is coming back a little bit because I have seen a lot recently about them and I think you know the more education there is about them the better position they'll be in to continue to thrive or to, you know, continue to increase. Um, But kind of getting into, you know, the characteristics of them. So what do you love about the churros? I mean, what is unique about them?
1: Um, My favorite thing about them is the diversity um, in colors, in patterns. Uh, It's really funny because when people come out to our farm and they haven't had much interaction with sheep, they kind of expect to see a herd of white sheep and they look at our herd and we have black, silver, blue, red, brown. Some are spotted. Some have a badger pattern, which is like black around the eyes, black legs, and then a lighter body. Um, So it's always fascinating to people to look at these sheep and think and realize they're all the same breed of sheep And, and Just really cool. And it's appealing to, I think, people who work in fiber arts to have all these natural colors out of one herd rather than um, dyeing them to make the colors that they want. There's already kind of a cool spectrum. Um, And something else that's really cool about them is their horns. So Navajo churro can grow up to horns, like three sets of horns on one head. Um, and I think the Jacob also can have that ability and it's super weird looking, (laughs) but pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that is, that is really cool. Now with talking about the horns, now, how does that make shearing either unique for you or a challenge for you?
1: I would say it's a challenge. Usually, uh, um... Around the the horns with the electric shears, I can't really get underneath of them. So I have to use little um, hand snippers to go around. And it just takes more time the more horns they've got um, to get kind of in between the head and the ears and the horns without nicking them or anything. You have to be super careful. (laughs) And they get really uncomfortable when you're like working around their ears. (laughs) Mm.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely
1: challenging. We don't have any with six horns, but. Um, We have a a few with four horns and some with three horns, which is kind of funny looking.
0: Well, yeah. And I mean, I've seen pictures of the horns and the horns are not, um, and especially like on Jacobs, I know they're not small horns. They're usually pretty substantial looking guys, whether or not you have just two or four. (laughs) They seem to be like pretty huge horns.
1: They are. They're super thick, (laughs) especially on our rams. Um, So some of our ewes have horns and and sometimes they can. Um, But the rams always have horns and they're so super thick. Like um, my oldest and biggest ram, his horns are, uh, it's hard to tell how, uh, probably about six inches in diameter. Um, But they're intimidating looking. When you see him, you can see that they are definitely a tool. Um, used for fighting Um, so they just kind of make their heads bigger and sometimes they do fight and you hear this crazy impact it's uh kind of scary oh wow
0: so are they with you guys I mean are they um are they kind of more loners are they more like or I I suppose like every sheep most like most animals are going to have their own personalities but do you find they tend to kind of like to be on their own or do they
1: like to be around
0: people or be handled or anything like that?
1: Um, They really do have super unique personalities. Uh, I have two sheep that really, really like to be pet and I'm not really sure why that happened. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of them is a really old lady. She's 17 years old and she's just always liked human interaction. And she gets special treats when she comes to me. I'll have um, crackers or something in my pocket. So I think she's just pretty smart. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's um, cute. Uh, it's really funny. And I have one younger one who was um, uh, one of last year's rams. So, or uh, sorry, lambs. Um, so she's a yearling now and she just loves getting scratched. So she runs up to me and I give her a big scratch and she gets super happy about that. Oh. Uh, but the rest of them are super um, skittish of me. They do not like being handled or touched. So ah. that's just something I'm part of working with sheep.
0: So we mentioned, this is another thing that I never really thought about, but we mentioned kind of uh, some of your older sheep. So what's, what's a typical lifespan on a churro?
1: Yeah, so we have some very old girls. Um, 17 is the oldest that we've got. And that is really up there for a sheep. I would say I get this from a cute sheep magazine called Sheep. Um, And sometimes they have photo competitions. And the last one was the oldest sheep. And I think it was a 19-year-old. So I would say a 19 or 20-year-old sheep is probably equivalent to like a a 100-year-old person. Our old girls... We have two of them that are 17 and they don't have teeth anymore. Um, their body conditions aren't so great. So at that point, they're kind of, um, you know, their bodies are starting to to give up on them. Um, but we do what we can to just make them happy and comfortable while they um, are living their retired life. <laughs>
0: oh, I love that. So what makes a Turo fleece unique? Like, What are some unique characteristics about their wool and what would someone maybe
1: use it for? They have a unique fleece in that it's a dual coat. Um, They have... If you're familiar with Icelandic sheep, it's really similar to their coats. Um, so they have that soft insulated undercoat that keeps them nice and warm. And then they have a long, coarse outer coat um, that makes them look really unique because it looks like they have straight hair. Um, and that outer coat protects them from dust and rain and snow. Um, and uh, it's kind of like a guard hair. So it's definitely not a, uh, the turtle are not a fine fleece sheep. Mm-hmm. They have tough hair. Um, and when we're processing that, we spin both of those, the outer and inner coat together. Um, and it makes for a super durable yarn or a lot of people felt with it as well. So it makes this really tough and durable um, material. Um, so that lends it to uses like rug making, which they're kind of famous for. If you've heard of Navajo rugs, um, that's the, these are the sheep that would be used to make those. Um, also used in outerwear, bag making, um, saddle blankets, and mm. pretty much anything that needs to stand up to a lot of heavy use um, or traffic.
0: Well, and I think that that's something that, I think is underconsidered when it comes to yarn is that there is still a use for that stuff that maybe isn't next to the skin super soft garment yarn um because there are still so many things that you can do with wool above and beyond just like making sweaters or you know scarves or whatever
1: right um yeah it's really appealing to like get the softest and squishiest yarn but um it's not the best for certain uses Um, like it won't hold up to heavy use it it doesn't have the same tensile strength as as something like the churro would have
0: sure Um, now as far as kind of I know that it is totally lambing season and I know sometimes that starts early for (laughs) some people and I know that it ends up being kind of late for others just depending on what your needs for your sheep are but um, how has that gone for you so far this
1: year? It's going great. This is absolutely my favorite thing about having sheep. <laughs> um, I just totally love the lambs. And we're in the midst of it right now. So I'm actually sitting on my porch watching the herd. <laughs> because we have oh. a couple pregnant ladies that are ready to go any minute. <laughs> and I wish you could hear them because they're like crying out there. Um but we had uh, accidental babies in January, um, which was super early for us, and that was the result of our our rams breaking through the pasture fence. Oh no! September. Um, oh. the <laughs> so they were with the girls for a couple of hours, and that's really all it takes. Uh, they got five of them pregnant in that oh, brief amount God. of time before we could round them back up. <laughs> Um, So round two is right now, and we've got, um, it just started two days ago. We've had six lambs so far. Um, We have four more ewes that we're waiting on. So um, they're kind of taking a break right now.
0: (laughs) Wow. And are are churros one that, are they kind of self-sufficient in their lambing? Do they need a lot of, like, human Uh, I guess, what's the word, intervention, or do they kind of just drop on their own? Uh,
1: Yeah, this is kind of funny you mentioned it, because um, they have a reputation for being great mothers. Um, And for the most part, this is my uh, third year lambing, and I have never had to intervene. And I was like, I'm just this lucky that the sheep are just gonna do it on their own every time. I won't have to um help birth a lamb. Um so we got through a couple of lambs the other day and I actually posted about it on Instagram how great they are as mothers that I never have to (laughs) help deliver them. And an hour later I had a huge lamb coming out of one of my ewes and he got stuck. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) I had to I had to um pull it out so it was my first time doing that and I was so nervous but it went really well I had watched a bunch of YouTube videos and I did exactly what they said to do and he came right out
0: (laughs) oh good that is really well that's funny they just made you eat your words right there
1: totally I was like I should not have said that
0: (laughs) (laughs) so did you have enough time that's that's the other question here did you have enough time look up the youtube videos before you went out there or is that have you watched youtube videos in the past about lambing to know what to do
1: i i had watched them in the past so every year i've kind of been prepared to do this um hoping that i wouldn't have to but I, i i did a ton of research and i've got a little lambing kit with all the things i would need to um Um, help in a birthing or help with a lamb that was struggling to stand or something like that. So I was ready for it. And when I saw what was going on, um, she was laying down and uh, crying and she'd been crying out for almost an hour. And she, she happens to be a really vocal sheep. So at first I thought, Oh, she's just, you know, talking like she always does. Um, But it just got louder and louder. So I went to check and I saw the little nose sticking out and i knew right away that's the wrong thing you have to see the feet first um so i just reached right in and and uh found them you could feel them they were pretty close and and um pulled them forward and pulled them down and out
0: well that's good i mean it's good that you at least had those had yourself at the ready
1: yeah yeah i was really grateful that um uh my brain kind of went to the right place to find that information because I panicked and I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) And then I thought right away, okay, you know what to do. Um, and he came out and it, and it happened so fast that the you who was giving birth didn't seem to realize he was out. He, she just kind of laid there and kept pushing for a little while.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you do have more than just sheep on the farm, which we did talk about a little bit earlier. So you have a llama, and it's not just a llama. It is a guardian llama. So what is a guardian (laughs) llama? Like, what do they do? What does that mean?
1: It's a good question. Um, uh, So when we started farming here, we were researching... um, ways to keep the herd safe from predators and we do have predators out here, uh, mainly coyotes and some black bears. Um, So we wanted a natural deterrent that could live with the herd Um, and a lot of people use uh, dogs, Great Pyrenees or Anatolians for this purpose. Um, But we wanted something that just ate grass and also provided a product. So we had heard about llamas as guardians and they are naturally very territorial and they'll fight off a predator so um we decided to go with the llama and she, and <laughs> she was actually another wedding gift to uh, my husband and I which was a p- pretty much the coolest wedding gift we ever got <laughs> <laughs> um so we have one llama here on the farm her name is Miss Coco Uh, She lives with the herd, and she has the property um, and keeps our girls safe. This was totally unexpected, but she is our self-appointed midwife. Um, So when the ewes are giving birth, she's always standing right over them, and she helps clean up the babies as as they're coming out, which is um, the first time I saw it, I was doing that. Um, But she does it every time, and she just kind of hangs around while they figure out how to stand up and, I guess, keeps an eye on them.
0: That is really amazing. I love that. Um, (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's super cool. It was, like, a pleasant surprise.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of something. It's another thing that allows you to have a little bit of peace of mind, it feels like.
1: Definitely. Um, Because they, oftentimes they like going up into the woods to have their babies. And also they like doing it in the middle of the night. So (laughs) while I don't really sleep when this is happening, I like to go out and check. At least I know that if I'm not out while it's happening, we've got Miss Coco standing over and uh, keeping them safe.
0: Yeah, definitely. And one thing that you and I had kind of talked about um, a little bit before we actually did this via email is that um, that you really that there's a concern with having more than one of them not really being able to be like a guardian in that sense. Um, and why is that?
1: Right. so if I were to have another llama with her, she would not want to be with the herd of sheep. Well, in theory. Um, because she's alone and she's a herd animal, she has bonded with the sheep, even though it's not her species. If there were another llama, she might just bond with that llama and not really want anything to do with the sheep. So the two llamas would just kind of walk around together and keep each other safe.
0: Sure. Okay. That's that's really fascinating as well. Um, now, We talked about the sheep, we've talked about the llama. Now, the other thing that I know that's unique about you guys is that you guys use a practice called carbon farming. Um, Can you explain what that is?
1: Yeah, um, actually, I'm really excited to talk about that. Um, Okay, so. go back and talk about some science for a minute. Um, so when we extract and burn dense forms of carbon or fossil fuels uh, um, to produce energy, we're releasing massive amounts of CO2 into the atmosphere. Um, and plants and our ocean naturally absorb CO2. Uh, we've reached a point where, because of our energy consumption and growing human population, uh, we're putting more CO2 into the atmosphere then those plants in the ocean can absorb it. So we're just doing it too fast. Um, CO2 traps heat from the sun. And that in a nutshell is what's causing climate change. Um, So carbon farming is any farming practice that works to enhance the soil's ability to absorb carbon. Um, And you can do that by increasing the amount of organic matter in the soil. Um, so some ways that we do that on our farm is um, we amend our soil with compost. We rotate pastures to allow uh, plants to grow and recover after the sheep have grazed. Um, we keep some areas of our farm completely ungrazed and we grow pollinator plants to attract bees and butterflies and things like that. Um, We also let our sheep forage in the woods. So rather than just clear cutting our entire, we've got 18 acres here, um, we have half pasture and half woodland, um, which just adds to the plant diversity and um, adds to the ability to absorb that CO2 from the atmosphere. Um, And one other thing we've been working on lately is increasing the vegetation on our stream banks. And we're doing that by planting naturally stabilizing trees and shrubs to help keep the soil from eroding. Um, That's kind of what I mean by carbon farming. All of those practices help to improve the health of the soil um, and increase the amount of CO2 that um, can be absorbed. That's
0: amazing. I really, really love that. Uh, That's something I feel really passionate about with just, you know, adding sustainable practices to, you know, things that we're already doing. And I think that is so incredible of you guys that you guys are actually putting all that effort into it and really just, I don't know, finding a way to enhance the environment rather than do anything that is like a detriment to it. So like, that's good on you. That's awesome.
1: Thanks, yeah, there are so many like simple things that you can do to um, just have a positive impact and and, um, yeah, not totally deplete the uh, nutrients in the land.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And with your climate, I guess specifically where you live, because you guys are up in the mountains. um, So what are some of the challenges that you guys experience just kind of having uh, an environment like that?
1: Well, one of our biggest challenges is that we get a lot of rain up here. Um, So wet, wet weather makes for really tricky farming. Um, It leads to tons of mud, um, which we deal with all the time. And it's challenging to keep the sheep dry and specifically their feet. So when they're walking around on pasture and in the mud for days and sometimes weeks, um, they get all kinds of hoof problems as a result. So moisture pockets form um, kind of under the, the um, hard part of their hoof. And um, it's just something we have to kind of constantly be checking and keeping an eye on and trimming back their hooves to um, stop any kind of bacterial growth from forming under there. Um, and with the wet weather when it's warmer it also um, that's prime condition for parasites Mm. so we deal with a good bit of that out here as well
0: so with um, with a breed like churros um, uh, because I think from my understanding is that they're more of like a foraging breed they're more self-sufficient are they a breed that's more naturally resistant to parasites? I mean, I know, obviously, they're not going to be completely exempt from them, but um, are they more or less a sheep that kind of can, like, fend off the brunt of parasite issues?
1: Yeah, they are definitely a very hardy sheep, and we don't like to treat for parasites unless it is a problem. So that's just something we, um, one of our, our practices here. So if we see that um, there are parasites in their fecal samples or something, we'll treat for that at that time. Um, They're hardy, but they do, at least here where it's more wet than the climate that they would be more used to out in the Southwest, um, I think they struggle a little more where we are. Um, So we do end up treating, we try to treat with natural remedies Um, so we do things like feed them garlic um, and parasites don't like garlic so they kind of sometimes that does the trick Um, there's one parasite in particular out here called the barber pole um, and there doesn't seem to be a natural remedy to that so we do have to use um, chemical dewormer for that and that hit us pretty hard last year but so far this year everyone seems okay
0: thank you i'm sorry that one was off book but i was really interested to care about some of that because some of those breeds I've heard are really good at staving that kind of thing off. But yeah, I mean, it makes sense if you're being constantly hit with rain, you're probably not going to be in a position where the parasites are just going to go, no, I don't think so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and it usually is after like a long period of wet. And it's also very um, specific to the individual sheep. So that's another one of those things. Um, some sheep individuals have a really strong resistance while other members of the herd might really, really struggle. Um, so uh, that's also something to keep in mind, uh, when we're breeding, if we have a sheep that is particularly affected by parasites, we probably would not continue breeding that sheep. Um, we would stick to the ones that are uh, showing a resistance so that we can, um, just strengthen our herd. Um, with with the best genetics that we have.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that totally makes sense. Um, now we've okay. So now we've talked about sheep, llamas, farming, and I know you guys do more than that. So are can you tell us just a little bit about some of the things that you guys make with the the fiber that you produce and um, other kinds of you know crafts and products that you have?
1: Sure. Um... Yeah, so that's like the total other side of the business. Um, and that's kind of um, the fun, creative side. Although dealing with the sheep is a lot of fun too. <laughs> um, so after shearing the sheep, I have it processed and spun into a lopi yarn, which is a single ply bulky. Um, and I send all of our fleeces to our local mill and then I get the yarn back. And then I get to kind of play around with color. Uh, The the sheep offer a nice natural variety of color, um, but I also use natural plant dyes to expand that palette. Um, I try to use a lot of the material that grows right here on our farm. So we happen to have um, usnea, which is a type of lichen, I use for dyeing, and black walnut, which is something else I use for dyeing. And I have other plant materials that I purchase. Um, So once I have the yarn and all the colors, I weave textile arts. Um, So each piece that I make is totally unique. Um, And I weave them on this large um, tapestry loom. So it kind of looks like a big frame that I um, built here on the farm using Um, some old palettes that we found here when we moved. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, the tapestry pieces are mostly decorative. Um, I make some table runners. Most of my work is commissioned, um, but I also have a collection available for sale on my website. Um, And on top of the... Um Woven pieces, I make pottery, um so things like mugs and bowls and teapots um, and that 's kind of where my background in art is um, i 've been a potter for over twenty years now, and fiber art is something i 've really just gotten into with um, with the sheep, kind of out of necessity um, because we had to make a product that um, made the farm financially, um, sustainable.
0: That's really cool. I, I just like, I love how resourceful you guys are and I love like your creativity with it. Cause I think that's something that some people don't really think of, you know, you think of the farm as work, 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 and yes, it is work, but you also get to have, you know, that creative side to it. And the one thing that I'm just going to ask again, this is just a personal question. I saw online that you make these little like plates for garlic and they have like scoring in the (laughs) middle. Um, And I've never seen anything like that before. What what does that do?
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so that's a garlic grater. Um, The score, it's like a little dish with a spout on it. Um, That scoring in the middle, when you get your clove of garlic peeled, like the paper off the outside, you just rub that on the rough surface and it like almost liquefies the garlic onto the dish. Um, So you can then use that to like pour over olive oil or add some other spices and make it into um, like a marinade for meats or a dip for bread or something like that.
0: All right, you've one hundred percent convinced me. I need one of those because I hate cleaning out yes. a garlic press, and I will avoid it at all costs. So this sounds much
1: easier. <laughs> oh, awesome! Yeah, it's super easy. You just wipe it with the sponge.
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds much easier. Okay, well, I'm gonna get some. I'm gonna get one of those the minute I can. Um, but last question uh, is: What do you guys have anything? coming up in the future like what is what are your plans anything big in the works
1: um yeah there are a couple things I wanted to mention so one um one thing I've been working on this year is I'm going to be experimenting with a little bit of felting um, and trying to some more functional household items out of the fiber Um, things like coasters or beer koozies um, and I even have a a plan to make some household slippers so we'll see how that goes they might just end up being my own personal slippers and not work out (laughs) but um, it's something that we're having a couple of batches of fleece made into right now so we've got the sheets of felt being produced, um, and I'll start experimenting with that in in the next couple of months. Uh, this actually this Saturday, I'm having an open farm tour here on the farm. So, um, if anyone's in the Asheville area, I'm just inviting them to come and stop by and meet the sheep, um, and I'll do a little talk and um, kind of talk more about the Navajo churro and what we produce here, um, and then. One more thing, we've got um, an event coming up on Saturday, May 11th. Um, Our local fiber shed group is called Local Cloth and they're putting this on. It's called um, Fiber Field Day. So um, it's for fiber producers and fiber artists to come and talk about their product or their farm and display some stuff and have some stuff for sale. Um, And that'll be here in Asheville at the WNC Farmers Market, um, May 11th from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m.
0: Oh, awesome. That is so cool. Well, you know what? I really appreciate you coming on today, Jessica. And also, I really, really appreciate you letting me ask you so many questions that I did not tell you I was going (laughs) to ask you. Oh, no, it was fun. <laughs> if you're interested in learning more about Jessica's Farm, um, you can go to her website at rustedearth.co, and she is also on Instagram at um, the at sign rustedearth.co. And I will go ahead and I will link to everything we talked about today in the show notes at www.woolanddye.com podcast.